You guys ready to do this? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, fans around the world. We welcome you to this historic event. Historic because we've seen boys become men, men become leaders, and leaders become legends. Edgar Mitchell once said, when people asked us, do you read history? No, I answered, we are too busy making it. Now, if that doesn't summarize what's happening today, then I don't know what will. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome my co-host and a man who once had a cappuccino with Bob Hawke at 2am to the first episode of the show named The Refill, Tim Bahaja. Tim, how are you today? G'day, Chris. I'm very well, mate. Thank you. And um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and look, I know we should, you know, you got to learn to walk before you can run, but I don't know what your, your thoughts are, but my end game here is um, breakfast radio, FM breakfast radio. Yeah, for breakfast. I mean, you know, that's 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 the ultimate goal. I'm sure we'll get there probably quicker than we expect, but yeah. uh... Probably. I mean, when you look at all of the (laughs) famous radio duos, they all seem to be a little bit uh, not clownish, but um, a little bit lighthearted. I'd say we're both pretty uh, we're pretty lighthearted. We can be very serious at times. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. If people saw the shirt you'd wearing right now, that probably sums you up perfectly. So I'll just actually get you to ex- actually explain what the shirt is. Oh, this is actually from the twenty-eight-year-old males website. It's um, it's kickboxing twenty-four hours a day with uh, <laughs> Eric Banner from the castle, <laughs> and there's a punching bag. There's Eric. Um, yeah, look, it's good gear. Bootleg T-shirt. Um, it is. Um, this wasn't the way I really wanted to start this, but I do actually have a story about the 28 year old male. Um, oh, yeah. I, uh, during my, uh, younger years, um, which is about two or three years ago, I frequented a place called my Aon. So shout out to them. It's in based in Preston the trance club. If anyone's interested in that sort of thing. Um, and there was quite a line, quite a line going back and, um, a mate of mine who will remain unnamed, uh, went mm-hmm. up to a couple of guys in the um, towards the front of the line and used to like to make the joke that I was the 28-year-old male and got us into the line. And these two random blokes who I'd never met before asked me for a photo. And I took <laughs> a photo with them and I said, don't you dare tag me, boys. I go, this is our little secret. And they were like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, heavily guarded um, identity. And... Um, you know, I, I got a, a, a short, a shorter uh, wait, a shorter wait time to get into my Aon, which after being in there, I absolutely did not need no, more time but, in there. Yeah. So, um, so there you go, a little bit of a, little bit of a connection so, to the yeah, twenty-eight year old male. If you're looking to get into a nightclub in a, in a sneaky way, that might be one for everyone out there listening. Yeah. To to be fair, the 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 posting and the humour is very similar to mine. I'm. I have a, I've probably described as a low testosterone human. I've got a thin, terrible, very, very, very thin th- wrist. I don't, <laughs> I don't know who's thinner on top, you or me. Um, probably me, I suspect, but. That would be line ball. That'd be line ball. Yeah. To probably explain what this show will be, it's going to, it's going to be one of those sort of radio talk show hosts covering the the sports world and what's going on and, in a serious light and then probably mostly in a non-serious light. So I think uh, breakfast radio is 
definitely not outside of our reach. No. I mean, if you've seen the standard, it's, it's well within reach, really. Yeah. Do, do you think that Jonathan Brown, during his career, at any stage, did you ever say, I think he's going to be doing breakfast radio? Uh, probably not breakfast radio. I think he was always destined to be a media star. He was yeah. always a beauty. Uh, whenever you know, when he, whenever he was on the footy show or whenever he had to do media, he just he just dominated. So I don't think it surprises that he's doing very well in the media. But yeah, breakfast radio maybe is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, he's great at it, but um, yeah, very much very much a shock to me. And first thing that we are diving into isn't uh, something that either of us hoped that we would uh, be doing uh, yeah. on the fourth of March. The cricketing world lost probably. It's most iconic character in Shane Warne. Now, Warney was obviously incredibly special to, I think, all of us, but I thought it would be a great idea to, to sort of celebrate and chat about what uh, both of our favourite memories and moments uh, were from the King and uh, his time in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you just could indulge me, I just think we should salute the great man. Yeah. yeah uh, there it is. And, um, yeah, terribly sad. and. Um, a shock, obviously. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those ones, it's, uh, where were you? If, I know it happened late at night. Um, it so happened that I was still up um, mm. in Brunswick Street, but it was one of those where were you, it was one of those where were you moments when it happened. It was really such a shock. You're just like, uh, that, that can't be right. Double checking the age website, double checking mm. social media. But yeah, absolute shock. Yeah, I remember because I got a, I got one text message from one person and it was right, like I was in bed, I was asleep and I checked it. And I actually, I can be a bit, um, not lackadaisical, but I can, when I would sort of wake up, I'm a bit hazy. And I actually yeah. thought that I dreamt it. Mm. So I went back to sleep and didn't think anything of it. And then when I woke up in the morning, obviously by that point, you know, there was a million text messages and it actually didn't feel, it didn't feel real. You're spot on when you say a, um, you know, re- you remember where you are. Uh, what do you think the most, I know there's a slight segue, but what's the, probably the most iconic, where were you moment for you? Cause mine's obscure. Um, like princess Diana was pretty big. Yeah. I wasn't doing anything special, but I just still remember that sort of breaking news and being shock. Mm. Um, what's your one? Mine was Michael Jackson. Now I was never a big fan of his music, but I was at the Melbourne sports and aquatic center working. And I, I, I remember it clear as day still um, yeah. my boss at the time, whose name I couldn't remember came in and just said, Michael Jackson died. And I just remembered sort of just, it was only me and him in Oh, a room which is like filled with, I think about seven basketball courts. Yeah. And I'm like, it was just dead silent. And I'm like, this is just a surreal moment. Mm. Yeah. No, that's a, to- a total shock. Absolute shock. Yeah. But I'm not drinking, but I'm glad you are to pay homage to the great man. Yeah. Pull one out for the great man. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll jump into, I've got, I've listed five memories, which, uh, to me, we're actually pretty easy to, to sort of um, rank. Um, yep. And, you know, some of them are a little bit more sentimental than uh, I guess others. But um, I think the first one for me is the semifinal against South Africa in 1999. Mm-hmm. I believe we made about 200 or something. And 
South Africa were absolutely cruising, about none for 60. And he, the ball that he bowled to Herschel Gibbs to get him out just absolutely turned that game on its head. And if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that wicket, like they're they're yeah. probably they're probably winning that two or three down. So that that ball there, which Gibbs, uh, world class player, just absolutely looked looked foolish. And he was kind of dumbfounded. If you watch the replay, he's kind of just like looking at the pitch, kind of falling over. Yeah. But that's what he could do, isn't it, Warney? Like he you'd look like you know, the opposition were in front or just had total command of the game or whatever it was. And then he would get that wicket out of nowhere, pumped up, come on, you know, just get jump on my shoulders, boys. I'll take you. I'll take you to the World Cup. It was that yeah, kind of moment. Absolutely. What was your first one? Um, so, well, look, I was there, and I, there's probably another 200,000 Melburnians that would say they were there as well. But he's um, he's 700th wicket. Mm. Um, at the MCG, uh, we were in the bleachers, uh, group of mates. It was one of those rare occasions where every single person at that, you know, 90,000 people were all there for the one same reason, and that was to see Warney hit 700. So everyone was pumped up for it, just waiting for that moment. And then when it happened, it was just an explosion of noise and just people going berserk. Um, obviously, Warney with his little run. Finger he up. took off. He took off. They can't catch him. Um, but the G just, I, I, it'd be right up there, top three loudest I've heard the G. It just went crazy. Um, as I said, it was just 90,000 people all there for the one moment. And then yeah, it was a super cold day, actually. Um, so we, we nicked off about an hour later. But that was the moment where, um, you know, it was just, it, it was history being made. Yeah, where were you when this happened? Um, as we sort of said, but that was just one of those rare sporting moments where just privileged to watch it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think when you ask most people about that, everyone says they were there. I'm probably the only person who's admitting that I actually wasn't there because I wasn't (laughs) simply there, but, um, yeah, definitely. That's definitely a, a special moment and sort of one I get into at the end, um, in a little bit of an expanded life, but, the next one for me is is probably I think the most special one. Um, and you know, my my grandparents um, owned a beach house down in Point Lonsdale, yeah. um, and we used to go down there uh, as a family and and watch the cricket. I'd watch the cricket with my dad, you know, sort of growing up. And I, I just remember sitting on the couch one day with him watching them play the West Indies, and he made an absolute mess of Shivnarayan Chanderpaul, who I loved as a cricketer. <laughs> like I the weird it, batting stance, didn't he? Yeah, well, that you know, you know, people like emulate, uh, you know, they always emulate Shane Warne playing backyard cricket, or they'd emulate someone batting. I emulated Shivnarayan Chanderpaul all the time. Him and Sean Pollock, they were my like two favorite cricketers. Yeah, which is a really weird thing to say as an Australian who grew up in the golden era. But I'll never forget sort of just sitting on the couch with my dad. You know, not really saying anything and just seeing him make a complete mess of Chanderpaul, who was batting really well, um, was oh, so, was such a good delivery. Like, I don't think I've ever seen someone bowl so many unplayable deliveries to like yeah, yeah. elite world class cricketers. He had a lot of great moments, obviously against England, but I, I always found that his matchups against the West Indies. Um, Shivnarine, as you just said, but also against South Africa, like he used to, 
loved taking on the South Africans. They were pretty elite at that stage. He had about four or five bunnies in his. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, Daryl Cullinan was one of them. Um, but yeah, he might he, be. He, was, he might be top. He might be up top of the bunny list. I reckon. I think so. I think so. But it, I mean, he's not the Lone Ranger. Old, um, old Daryl. There was no. plenty of others around who couldn't play him. Another moment for me uh, would be back in 1993. Uh, again, it, we're back at the MCG. Uh, it's the hat trick that he got um, with the little kegs on legs. Uh, David Boone, full stretch, taking that diving mark at um, unbelievable. Uh, Slim it on. Yeah. <laughs> it was. You know, you talk about Usain Bolt, you talk about Carl Lewis, you talk about your athletes, LeBron James, and of course, it's David Boone. Like, that was just, you know, yeah. as good as it gets. Um, and I remember, I, I, for whatever reason, I was taping it, I was recording it on VHS, and I used to just watch it um, for ages, just randomly, just want to watch his hat trick. I'd just chuck it on, mm. had tracking marks on it by the end of it. Um, so <laughs> that was a great moment. And obviously, in front of his home crowd, uh, yeah, super special, super special. Yeah, I, I think that's what makes like the 700th wicket and the hat trick. Uh, yeah, not that it's not, it wouldn't have been special if, say, it was at Adelaide over all the SCGs. The fact that it was at the MCG just kind yeah. of solidifies just how special those moments were for people watching at home or actually, actually being in the stands. Yeah, for sure. The next one I have is pretty much nothing to do with cricket, but him dancing on the balcony at Trent Bridge, <laughs> letting the crowd have it after we just pumped them in the last test by about two, I think about 200, 300 runs. Yeah. Like we'll never get, we'll never get old to me. Like, no, I can't. I think one of the most, everyone knows the stump, you know, the stump waving. Um, and, but I think one of the funniest things he did is he's standing there with a beer and obviously the fans are absolutely letting him have it. And he just yeah. kind of just, kind of like just rolls his rolls his wrist and holds the hand out to yeah, say behind like, the ear, behind like the ear, just like give me it yeah. come on it, it, like is that all you've got like that <laughs> that really just summarizes him as a like he's a complete complete showman and like there's something about being that I wouldn't call it a villain because like I, when I think no. of a villain I think more of like Virat Kohli when he plays in yeah. Australia like the way he carries himself like well, villains whereas, don't, yeah. Villains don't generally have any likable aspects about them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Warney was the opposite. He's super likable, but he also had that rat bag, standoffish. Could be could antagonize with the best of them. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, I was always, I was always like curious as to how international cricket fans like viewed him because yeah. of the fact that he was so oh, not. Yeah, antagonizing, I guess, is like the perfect word. Is like, you know, you're all of a sudden you're on you're on top of the game and all of a sudden he bowls this one ball and then all of a sudden he's just like he's in your face and he's, you know, for the most of his career, he's pretty an unfit, um, not <laughs> highly athletic looking dude. And you're just like There's no David just, He's no you're you're just like, fuck this guy again. Like it just would have <laughs> made you so angry as like a Oh, especially, yeah, sure. especially an English fan like watching that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Look, another moment, and I, this is more of a personal moment. This is one that, um, so I, I did a shoot with the great man just a couple of months ago, uh, just for the Ashes for KO. 
uh, just in the, in the Melbourne um, studios at Fox. Uh, and like always, he, you know, he was the, uh, he was the light that everyone was uh, gathering around and he just, this charismatic as all hell, um, but super nice bloke. And the, the, the interesting thing for me is during takes, he had his, like the script piece of paper and he'd sit there just between takes and he was just doing all sorts of different autographs, different signatures. And I was like, what's going on? You know, what are you up to? And he's sort of like, well, you know, I can do, oh, yes, I was a mad Hawthorne supporter growing up. You know, I never, I never baked for the Saints all the time. I baked for Hawthorne growing up, me and my brother. And he goes, and, you know, back in 1976 when Hawthorne won the flag, the newspaper would release like a photo, the full group mm. photo and all their signatures at the bottom. And so he'd said he'd just spent hours and hours just doing every signature perfectly so he got it perfect. Um, and he showed me he could do anyway. He had you know Peter Knights, uh, Rodney Ede. He said one day he was um, he was on a plane, and he was sit, sitting next to Rocket Ede. And then so he just grabbed a bit of paper and just perfectly did Rocket's signature, just passed it to Rocket without any explanation. Rocket looked down. He's like, "Oh, what the hell? <laughs> imagine, from? imagine just someone handing you a piece of paper with your signature, like just yeah, anyone, per, yeah. And then looking over at who it is, and you're like. Yeah. Shane Warns literally Shane Warns just handed just, me my own autograph. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was great. And he, and he said he could do the same with all his Australian teammates as well. Um, and he mentioned, he, he said, um, if you brought a 93 Ashes bat, there's every chance that all those signatures are mine just because <laughs> Headingley bought off his brain just watching his bat. He'd just grab all the bats and just do everyone's signatures, just knock, just knock, knock it over for the boys. Oh, so that's a guy, you know, always, always a bit of a rat bag, always a story with him. Um, but that was a great little moment personally uh, to, to have that moment with him not too long ago. Was he just doing these by himself or was like yeah. was someone there just, or he's just literally sitting in a chair, just. He's just sitting know. in the chair in between takes, just putting it, writing him on the script, just, you know, like you do when you're a, like at school, just like, you know. I still do it, mate. Yeah. Oh, whatever it might be. Just, um, just doing a whole heap of different signatures. Um, so that, that's probably a skill that he had that I'm not sure too many knew about. The next one for me is I think I think probably that my favourite actual ball that he bowled. So yep. it was in England. I can't, I can't recall where it was, um, but he bowled Andrew Strauss like yeah, behind yep. his legs on the last ball of play. Yeah, and it it literally hit middle stump like, and I think everyone knows this ball. It's it went just behind like, his legs, didn't it? Yeah, he like kind of steps out to pat it, yeah. and the ball turns so sharply, and it sort of hits the rough and comes out of the rough, and it it literally goes behind him and hits middle stump. Like it's not like he used to yeah. bowl guys around their legs for a bit of fun. This is to a left hander. Yep. How that ball's hit the middle stump, like to a left-hander, is like, it defies physics. Yeah. Yeah, awesome delivery. I mean, everyone obviously talks about the ball of the century against getting, but mm. that one against Strauss is is just as good. Oh, absolutely. 100%, yeah. It was amazing how many guys that he just literally bowled around their legs, like consistently. Yeah. And like really, really good batsmen, like, I know you see, you know, you get your Rory Burns who who come in and have clear technique flaws or, or whatever, and 
or you get your tail enders, the bunnies come out and they, you know, they get, they just get mixed up and they stumble yeah. over their own feet. But he would genuinely just bowl blokes at the top of their game who were yeah, yeah. established and like, it would just make, make them look like me batting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing, really. I mean, it just goes to show how good he was and how, how elite he was. And that's why he was, you know, one of the five wisdom cricketers of the century, like mm. a genius. The last one I've got was, we, you touched on it before, the 700th wicket, which came in the 2006-07 Ashes. Yeah. Everything about that whole series will, will, I guess, never be lost on me. And, and it's easily the sort of the best cricket memories I have. You know, you've got Harmison's first ball, which, you know, Bill Laurie <laughs> is just like, just losing yeah. it. Um, and because of the fact that the, the, it's called, it was like the revenge to arrive because. Yeah, so this is coming off the back of 2005 when they. Yeah. yeah and the utter series. carry on, the utter carry on after they won, where, you know, guys were knighted and there's that whole parade and stuff. Paul, Paul Collingwood, MBE, yeah, double decker bus. Just, you know, just a lot of carry on. You're right. Uh, utter carry on. And it irked, it irked the golden era sides like so much and, and <laughs> every Australian like it just was was that pissed off about it and then Harmison's first ball sets the tone but yep. you know the Boxing Day test um, the 700th wicket I guess this is sort of more of an expanded um, memory but you know he takes the 700th wicket um, at the MCG Andrew Simons makes that 100 uh, you yep. know under under you know under a ton of pressure and hits it with playing, hits playing, six. Playing for his career. He's on mate. Matthew Hayden jumps on. Yeah. Him. At yeah. the other end. Yeah. Um, and then I think what some things that pe- uh, something that people forget about is that, that last test in Sydney where Warney was Warney, Warney made like 70 odd. Yeah. And we were sort of all writing this fairy tale story of like, he's going to make his maiden test entry in his last test. Like, yeah. How perfect is this? And I don't think I've ever been more shattered when someone went out than when he went out. Like, I just remember going like, holy shit, it, it's actually going to happen. And like, if stuff like that happens, I know a lot of people say that like sports is, is romanticized and whatnot, but yeah, when something like that happens, like there's no way that you can't sort of say like. It would have been unbelievable. And I think it's a good point about his batting turn. You, um, I think you raised this to me when we were talking about it uh, during the week. Um, he was such an individual mm. in, in all the in, in every sense, you know, personality-wise, off off field and all that. But even cricket sense, you know, he brought back leg spin was dead, it was a dead art form. Mm. He's he's the one who you know he brought it back. That's a unique thing to do. Not you know, no one else had done it before him really, like since Benno and these guys. So that's a unique aspect. And then just the way he batted, like his batting technique was so unique. It was as so well. unique. Yeah. You know, I think it just sums up the the bloke is the fact that he bowled a unique variation of spin and he batted in a way in a way that no one else um, bats. Yeah. And he used a county cricket bat, which was the first bat I bought because of the because of the fact that he used it. Yeah. Now that was one of the worst cricket bats. It was basically a plank of wood taken off old yeah. mate's fence. They've painted it, put some <laughs> stickers on it, but still, like that's 
that was the sort of effect that he had. And it's like, yeah, it was like, what's the term? Swash, swashbuckling or whatever. Swashbuckling, like that. Yeah, yeah. That was the yeah. kind of way he played like yeah. outside on the offside. He was just kind of like, he would just slash at it. Had this like slashing. Yeah. Touch it, shot. Was, it was sort of wristy and it wasn't much footwork. It was just, there was of, no footwork, but he, but he worked the angles really well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think that's sort of um, one thing that definitely goes uh, unmentioned is the fact that, you know, he was actually a really, really good batsman as well for, especially for uh, a tail ender. He was probably yeah. almost an all rounder. And I guess you see a lot more bowlers now who can bat, you know, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins and all that. They're sort of all at that level, but there yeah. wasn't a, there wasn't a ton of, there wasn't a ton of tail enders like that. Yeah, exactly. We're very fortunate enough to have uh, a couple of guests on the show who uh, were involved and had played with uh, Warney previously. So one being Sean Sturrock, who uh, a former Melbourne Cricket Club cricketer and also was involved with the Victorian Futures program uh, as a left arm leg spinner. So he got to spend time with Warney and essentially grew up idolizing Warney. So we had him on to sort of, I guess, talk about it from a technical aspect and whatnot, and I think what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll send it over to him now. I thought it was very important to get the thoughts of someone who um, was a spin bowler was probably influenced by Shane Warne as a cricketer more than most people in um, the great man Sean Starrick, the man who came onto the show for the very first episode. Sean, welcome. I guess first off, not obviously great circumstances to come on, but what did the the great man Shane Warne mean to you? Uh, well, he's the reason why I, I started doing what I was doing. Um, I think when I first got in to playing cricket just with Dad, um, he was sort of at his peak, his powers, and I was a small little kid with blonde with blonde hair. And then once their hair went a bit too dark, I tipped it in honor of the great man, and um, I didn't I wasn't really tall, so. Fast bowling was out and I wasn't very good at batting. So for him, uh, it was the reason why I uh, did what I did and, and stuck at it for so long because he was – every time he bowled, you always thought there was something different was going to happen. It wasn't just going through the motions. He always had a bit of theatre about how he went about his game and um, even if he didn't think he was on top of someone, just his mental capacity and his mental approach um, just made him so threatening and, and you just didn't want to turn away. So – I think for me that was the big thing, um, you know, how you could intimidate someone bowling 70 miles an hour. Um, and then the best thing was the mental disintegration, making someone look silly um, from spinning it both ways and just uh, going about that. So for him to, yeah, I think not just um, make me become, you know, a, a spin bowler, he touched the generation. So there was, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, 30 to mid 30s or even older full grown men crying on Saturday morning like myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big legacy left. And I think the shame, the, the shame is that just the cricket brain he had as well. We're not going to be able to see that to its full capacity. Um, the knowledge that he can't share to the next generation or just to people in the lounge room listening can commentate. Touch on that, that knowledge, you know, we sort of just discussed beforehand that um, once upon a time you were a very, and you still are a very talented spinner and you've made me look foolish a number of times, but you were lucky enough to spend a, a, some time with the great man to learn uh, about the craft of spin bowling. What was it that sort of separated him from, I guess, other spin coaches that, or other coaches of any sort that you sort of were exposed to at an early age? 
Uh, I think from it's probably it's a funny thing when all these like tributes have come out. It's probably his person to person interaction. He actually like didn't think to you as like a left arm leg spinner or, or left arm off spinner. He actually saw you as the whole person and wanted to actually you know talk to you about other stuff and you know sort of you know how you were going with other things in your life or how you're going at your club cricket instead of just worrying if your front arm was getting on through if you were finishing your action or it was all shoulder or it wasn't all shoulder um and i suppose you know he'd probably ask you know if you you get nervous or um you know if a batsman did this or you know you were bowling to this field what would you be doing so he actually he instead of him sort of he'd set up the question he make you really think about it so i just think the interpersonal connection that he probably had with a lot of people and I'm even just for me for that month just sort of asking questions that were real left of centre that I wouldn't have thought of or I don't think other coaches would have thought of when they were coaching leg spin um, because it's such a mental uh, mental sort of exercise that you need to outthink batsmen it's not just raw pace or, or raw power you've got to really sort of you know it's a bit of a marathon not a sprint you've got to grind it out so I just think you really try to sort of touch the psyche and try to understand you know what made that person as a spin bowler tick and I think once he understood the faults or the, the strengths and weaknesses in that person, he then would, you know, go about it. So it was, yeah, it was, it was an eye-opening month for me and it sort of made me now think a lot differently when I start to coach younger kids with, with my club at the moment. Have you got a go-to warning story? Like when people, like recently in the last week or so, have asked you what was warning like or even before, the, you know, is there, a, is there a story that you sort of, is your, yeah. is the one you go to? Uh, well, I circled, him, I circled with him one night. Um, but it's not X-rated, so it's okay. He uh, <laughs> ran around a bar with a couple of the the big bash sides, and um, everyone's like, "Oh, the king's going to turn up." And it was a bar where you had to get the lift up to the top, and the lift ping, and everyone turned the door open. There he was with this bombshell on his on his arm, dressing all black, on his phone, texting away, and he could walk and shake people's hands while still texting simultaneously. <laughs> got a round of shots for everyone and then sort of was like all right i'm off see you later guys and everyone's like oh, okay see ya. you know a bit of a chat some photo opportunities wasn't was not short of you know taking photos or, or giving advice and that and then walked back and then sort of turned around jumped and lift and we we're all like leaning around the corner watching it. and he's still texting with his girl on his arm and as the lifts close he like looks up and winks and then the door closes and we're just like <laughs> wow like just it was just like everyone was a bit like that like the queen had come in and everyone was just like, what's going on here? She's, he's just come in, swept everything up. And then we just, that's all we talked about for the rest of the night. So that off field kind of stuff where he, yeah, you know, would sort of, you know, ask the questions, you know, if you're a club cricketer or, you know, you're, you're playing big bash with the, the other blokes, he, he spoke to everyone because they loved the game of cricket. There was no one was above anyone in that sort of circle that night. So I think that was a really good thing and humbling thing to, to be a part of. What was that sort of, you know, there's so many leg spin bowlers and, and just that, you know, that upper echelon, but there's always that extra something that makes a greater great. So what was it that, that made Warnie the king of little sort of extra 5%? Because if you bowled to me and Warnie bowled to me, I wouldn't lay a bet on either of you. So it's, you know, it's um, negligible at that point. But when it's you bowling to Tendulkar and Lara and Warnie bowling to Tendulkar and Lara, he had that extra something that made him so good. What was it? He, um, he had the ability to be able to get in your head before a ball was bowled, um, and that didn't happen overnight. He obviously had cut his teeth coming through the ranks, but he did little things um, early on in his journey that made people really – I mean, apart from, you know, the gadding ball and, you know, Boxing Day test, hat-trick, and he went through um, Sri Lanka over there. With, when It wasn't televised, but he took seven for not many and, and just won a game that they weren't going to win. Um, 
So he'd get people out before they even faced him. You know, all the stuff at the smoke and mirror. He had a lot of good smoke and mirrors, and you know, he can he he would have, he said in a lot of interviews he only had apart from when he did his shoulder, he only had three deliveries. But he said that he had about eight different ones. So blokes would you know would play one, they would go straight on. They go, oh, is that the one that goes straight on? He goes, no, no just in turn. So the the act of um, uh, subtle variation for balls that didn't do anything when he didn't even mean to. He already mind. He already mind gave him um, the, the the sort of the, the the mind games were already there. So he'd always go. He'd always have another gear for the, for the good players. But I think that all the other ones, he just he just outthought them before a ball would bowl. So to be able to get in someone's head before um, you'd actually mark center and stuff like that, that was his true sort of wizardry. That um, it's hard to do probably in no one else really does it because no one really has, has the time to to build a um you know a foundation like that so for him to um you know people be thinking about you know am i going to play for the play for the spin am i going to play for one that goes straight on and he's just going to say i'm just going to work him across the crease which he used to do when he used to work, play with a batsman or he'd he'd, bo- he'd want to bowl a ball he'd visualize what ball he wanted the what shot he wanted the batsman to play so instead of bowlers saying i'm going to bowl i see pit bit on the area on the cricket wicket that I want to bowl to, Warney would visualise how he wanted them to play the shot and then he'd set the field accordingly. Um, he'd also would bowl to people's strengths as well to get him to lower him in, to get him, you know, the confidence up. And then he'd set a field that sort of thought that he could get him through. So he just enjoyed the, I think, the the chase, if anything, and the battle. Um, and I think for him, also being able to land a leg spinner that can turn 35 to 40 centimetres every time on a thrippence is uh, is probably another testament as well. Just the, the fact that he didn't sacrifice accuracy for spin and he kept relentlessly hitting the same spot with the little chat, um, with the change in field placing, even if it didn't do anything, that was just the whole um, that was the whole show. And you sort of were hook, line and sinker from the start. Is there a ball that sticks out to you? I mean, he's, he's took, what, 710 or however many wickets he ended up with. Is there one that sticks out to you? Uh, the one, probably because I was lucky to see a lot of his stuff live, but I, I, was, I was there for the 700s at the G. And to that day, it's still the loudest thing. I like the, the stadium like was shaking. We, everyone sort of had got there super early because they knew if they were going to bowl, he was going to come on pretty early. Um I got a seat like right behind the bowler's arm on the opposite side because he took it from the southern, the southern um, Great Southern Stand end, which will now be the SK stand. Um, but he took it from that end. But I just remember hitting it and everyone jumping up and him just taking off. Um, and it took a good five minutes for everyone to finally settle down. That's probably the the big one. It's just to be the first one to get it. You know, Boxing Day test, home crowd. He's one of his last games there as well. Um, that's probably the one that sticks out because. Oh, you couldn't have written the script any better for him. Like it, he just was the. It just everything came came off, and that's probably the one that sticks out most to me. The other probably one I was super young, but I remember Dad waking me up for the '99 World Cup when he Pakistan they played Pakistan in the final, and they didn't make a good score, but Warney just sort of got the ball and and just took four for not many and just flipped it straight on his head. And he was the only one who who believed. And you can, if you go back and watch it, he gets the first one. He starts running down, yelling, come on, come on. Um, and then just everyone just sort of goes with him and that. He was just that kind of person who could win from any position. And you always talk about, you know, being better for longer. But he was that one who, even if they were none for 100 or whatever, he still thought that, you know, there was a chance in it. And that's the competitive juices and um, 
that kind of competitive creature just makes you walk taller when you're with him, I guess. And people want to, you want to play better and you want to play for him because you know he's given it his all. So that was the one I remember getting up at, you know, th- three, four in the morning with dad when I was still really young watching him, you know, spin us to the final and to win it. Um, and then yeah, the 700th at the G. Sean, you're a great man. And uh, thank you very much for uh, sharing your stories about the great man, Warney. Thanks, boys. Thank you very much to Sean Stark for that. I understand it's a very difficult time to sort of come on and talk about someone who you idolized and someone who, you know, played such a massive part in uh, who they were as a cricketer. Sean, incredibly talented cricketer, you know, someone like you and me, we obviously idolized Warney, but, you know, we were extremely average at the game of cricket. So um, it was great to learn about, um, what made Warney so great from an actual technical spinning point of view? There's a lot of stuff there I didn't know. Was there something that you sort of took out of that? Um, oh, that's probably a little bit superficial, but I, I love that story about him just walking into the uh, into the bar with yeah. the with the uh, girl on the shoulder, texting away, with, and uh, you know, just like you know, that's an ultimate showman. That is just knowing yeah. his audience knew exactly what he was doing, shouts the bar, and just that little, you can just picture it in your head perfectly, can't you? It's that as the, uh, as the doors are closing, just sort of looks up, gives that wink, and then it just would have been. Every single oh. person that bar would told that story from, from then on. Uh, I mean, you, you, talk about the, you talk about the story where you, uh, you ran into Bob Hawke, and it's a story <laughs> that you've dined out on now. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing Warney in that, I guess in that element and, and sort of doing something, I guess, so subtle, but like just literally makes it one of those stories where you go just, he's like, you know, he's doing a million things, but then he's also, his mind is also like, okay, elevated doors are closed and let's look up. They're obviously looking at me. Let's give him something. (laughs) If he stays at that bar for five hours and just has a chat to the boys, no one talks about that story, but the fact that he did what he did, that's what makes it so uh, such a, such a cool moment. Yeah, what we'll do now is the other person we had on is Adam Crossway, a former uh, Victorian wicketkeeper and the captain of St Kilda Cricket Club, which obviously is a club that um, Warney grew up playing at and sort of, I guess, uh, learned his craft somewhat. And this this was such a really good interview to learn, uh, I, I guess, a lot of stuff that we we didn't know. I think that's maybe the best part about all of these sort of stories that are coming out is, you know, from teammates and whatnot. It's just like learning little things about him. So... I think what we'll do now is we'll just throw it over to the interview with Adam. We're now very lucky to be joined by a former guest of the show, someone who uh, played with Shane Warne at Victoria and also someone who captains St Kilda, which is a club which Shane Warne uh, grew up playing at um, and holds a very special part in. So, Adam, thank you very much for coming on. No worries, guys. Happy to be here, even though, you know, yeah pretty shitty time yeah 100% very shitty time as someone who not only got to play with him but also got to to keep to warning what was I guess the biggest takeaway you sort of have with your time from him I guess from a playing perspective and then also from a personal perspective yeah look, I think one of the coolest things that's ever happened in my career that was that I got to play with Warren um I got to win keep to Shane Warren um something I grew up wanting to do everyone, everyone in the backyard always wanted to Key wickets to Warney, and uh, I was lucky enough. Um, Shane actually presented my Victorian cap to me 
which uh, obviously means a lot to um, to me there. Back in those days, it wasn't really, they didn't make the fanfare of it. There was no photographers out on the ground. My family wasn't there. It was just sort of in the warm-up. Here you go, mate, here's your hat. But he he said some really nice things that, uh, that day. I think, um, yeah, I think back to it, yeah, lovingly. And uh, it was awesome. Like, keeping wickets to him was unbelievable. I, I read what Adam Gilchrist had to say that uh, at test level, him and Ian Healy sort of took it all and, at state level, I guess it was Darren Berry for majority of it, but um, and then I was able to slide in at the very end of his career and probably do the last two years of of his first class career or his Victorian career, which was was amazing to do. And I yeah, had the best seat in the house. I, I remember a day that he was playing against South Australia. We were playing against South Australia, but it was essentially him versus Darren Lehman and the rest of us stood around. I think we spoke about it on the mm. on the um, the episode we did. It was it was like it was the game within a game and it was, it was Warren versus Lehman and the rest of us stood around. And I, I think there would have been 14 people at the game, Adelaide Oval to watch it, but it was the best cricket I've ever seen in my life and was able to, to keep wickets. So it was, it was awesome. You know, we all know how good he was as a bowler, but as a batsman, like when you have to face him, what separated him from everyone else? Like what was it? What was his sort of, you know, one thing that just went and took him to that whole next level? I think that uh, by the time I by the time I was playing with him, he's he wasn't he'd had his shoulder operation. He was at the back end of his career. He wasn't he wasn't really bowling his flipper a lot. He wasn't bowling a wrong end. He wasn't getting his arm up that. But his leg spinner, he he could spin it. He could spin it this far, that far, that far, and it all looked the same. So you got no different cues on when it came out. It looked the same. The one that spun that far. But then he had the control and the ability to then spin it a meter and a half and looking the exact same way. Yeah. There was only I was lucky enough to to face Muralitharan in um we played a rest of the world game and I was able to face him one day and the only two people I've ever seen and the reason they're the two best of all time spinners you could hear the ball when Warren bowled the ball. And same thing with Murali. When they bowled it, you could hear the ball fizzing at you and fizzing towards you. And that was something I've never seen or heard uh, since. And it was just the amount of work was on his on the ball was unbelievable. His fingers as well, like his fingers, his spinning finger would probably be the size of like if you stra- strap them together. So his hands were huge and the, the control he had was just unbelievable. But he just knew exactly what he was doing. Um, he worked so hard, even at the end of his career, he was still bowling all the time. He was still talking about cricket. And I think he's, he's also one of the best cricket brains I've ever um, had to the pleasure of being around and the way he thought about it. I think he would have been an amazing captain of Australia. Um, the way that he thought about it, everyone you speak to who, who he coached, he was just an amazing tactician and he always thought you could win. I, I remember we playing a shield game and we're coming in. It was sort of one of those shield games at the end where it was like sort of heading into the last bit of day three. It was like, uh, can, can you get a result here? Is it just going to peter out to a draw? But Warren was always the one that was like, nah, all right, let's declare. We, we only need 250 on the board. Let, let's have a whole day and we'll defend 250. Whereas now you don't see that. You don't see the aggression of we're going to win this with anything on the board. It was always cricket these days. It's 400. You need 380 to 400 to defend going to the last day. Whereas 
he was happy with 200 plus on the board and he just thought he was going to win the game at, at all costs. And his mindset was probably his biggest weapon. I think we saw that with the test in, in um, where was it? Um, Raul Pindi. Yeah, and I, I was watching that and it was funny. I literally tweeted about it as well, saying that if Shane Warne was in that team, he would have declared 150 runs behind and put it all back onto Pakistan to say, right, I set us something for the last day to chase. Mm. It was just this aggressive mindset that has probably lost. I think he never feared losing cricket. He always, he would rather lose every day of the week, giving himself a chance to win. Um, and that was what made him so good because he's, ability to win games of cricket with his own skill but this didn't matter whether it was with the ball or with the bat whatever it was he was let we got to do whatever we can to get a result we got to find a way we got to think outside the box we've got to give the the opposition a a chance to win because that brings us into the game and um his fields were were always reflective of, of what was going on in the game as well as we sort of touched on uh in the intro you're the captain of st kilda cricket club which is where um, Warney grew up playing a lot of his cricket and developed. Talk about what he meant to the St Kilda Cricket Club and sort of how influential his association has been over the years with the club. Yeah, look, I, I think that everybody involved in St Kilda um, that have been there for a long time, um, there was a lot of people down at the club on on the weekend when it happened on Saturday. I think we had 40 to 50 old guys coming back to the club that were, were there at St Kilda when Warney walked in as a 16-year-old. And the, the way that they've all watched him, we've all watched him as watchers and lovers of the game, but these guys that had played with him, that had mentored him through the, the tough times when he was just a fat little footballer that came down to bowl, to bowl leg spin at St Kilda. And um, I know like Sean Graff, who's been the general manager at Victoria for, for the last 30 years, he had a massive, massive um, part to play in Warnie's development as a kid and coming through the threes and the twos at, at St Kilda and, and then into the ones. And then obviously once he got into first grade, he then played for uh, for Victoria pretty quickly. And we all know the story of how it didn't take him very long to play for Australia. So his development was really squeezed into those sort of formative years, I think from that 16 to 20 year old period. And, and the St Kilda people are really, and the club as a whole, we're really proud of um, the association there. And it means a lot. And I, and I think, there's, there had already been a lot of um, work done in the background. We, next to the Blackie Ironmonger stand there at, um, at the Junction Oval, there's, uh, there's another stand that the, the work was already well and truly underway to become. That was going to become the Shane Warren stand at the Junction Oval. So um, we know the Great Southern stand, he's, he's going to get that, but he's also going to get something at, at the Junction, which I think is fitting because he, he loved the place. He loved the club and, um, yeah, everyone at St Kilda loved him. Everyone has their favourite memory of Warney. What's, what's yours? <laughs> mine, mine was probably yeah, just just playing with him, and it's probably not cricket related. It was there's probably two or three different things that, as I said, I was 15, 16 years younger than him, so I was 20 years old when he's 37 year old man or 36 year old man, and there's not a lot that you've got in common, but. Um, I loved Pearl Jam. He loved Pearl Jam. Foo Fighters. They came to Melbourne, and we—I remember we were playing a, a Shield game, and the Foo Fighters came to town, and they played back to back to back nights at, at the uh, across at the tennis centre there. And and Warnie goes, "Anyone like the Foo Fighters?" And I think three of us put our hand up, and right, I come along backstage with Warnie walking into the Foo Fighters concert with him was was just unbelievable. And he was just 
again, we, I was a youngster coming through, but he was just always so good and so nice to me and, and gave a lot. And again, one of the, probably another one would, would be being invited to his house to play poker. Um, he had these notorious poker nights where um, we went and like Joe Hashem was a world series of poker champion who was at the game um, every AFL star you could think of Favola and Ablett and Brendan Goddard and a lot of St. Kilda, Aaron Hamill and St. Kilda blokes were there, but um, it was just a who's who and, and here's little old me really just figuring out how to play poker and um, sitting at the table with these guys. But he just opened his, his house. He opened his life to his teammates and the people that were really close to him, because I think it was hard for him to get close to people that weren't in that bubble Um and obviously his, his private life was very sort of public. So um, he had a lot of, when you were a teammate or when you're a friend and when you traveled with him, it was, um, you almost instantly became, or you felt like you became inside of his sort of inner sanctum. The fact that you sort of didn't know how to play poker may be one of the reasons why you got the invite. He said, bring your checkbook <laughs> and just, just may have cleaned you out. <laughs> Well, this is a thing. I was like, I'm playing. I'm sitting there playing with Joe Hashem, who's a multi-millionaire. Just won the World Series. Warney. I, I kept saying, "Where's your ATM? Like, surely you've got an ATM in the back here somewhere <laughs> in your house." Um, and all the AFL guys. And here I am on a. I think I just signed my senior contract, so I, I wasn't on a lot of money. Um, but I remember saying to uh, my girlfriend at the time, I remember saying, "I don't care what this is going to cost me. I've got to do it." And I, th- I think it was like five hundred dollar buy-ins, but. I never bought back in, but these guys at all, they'd go all in quick because you could buy back in a few times and Warnie wouldn't care. He'd just try and chip up. So I was playing pretty tight and I had my one buy-in, 500 bucks. There you go. But like these boys were throwing around big money. But uh, no, I was invited back a few times and I, I took his money. I took their money one time. I was very happy with it. I had gang- gangster rolls of cash and I was a 20-year-old and I didn't have that much cash ever. So um, yeah, pocket fours won me that day. You come home and they're like, oh, how was your night? You're like, yeah, good. Didn't do anything really. Hide the cash in like a PlayStation game case. (laughs) (laughs) What was he like uh, behind closed doors, you know, away from, he's one of the most photographed, especially when he was in the UK, it was ridiculous. But, you know, Pat and um, everyone wanted, you know, selfies with fans and liniment sniffers in the club rooms. It was just, it it was always, everyone wanted a piece of him, which is, you know, why he was such he was so great but what was he like when you know when all that was away and it was just him and his teammates just you and just you know you him and the boys he was he was really genuine he was uh he was amazing teammate he was amazing educator of cricket uh he would love talking cricket some people don't like talking cricket after they stop playing but he loved sitting there with a, a vodka red bull over a at the bar talking cricket. Um, he loved his teammates. He loved playing the game. He was a genuine guy. I think it's funny listening to him over the last few years commentating. It was just like you were sitting next to him watching the game yourself. That's that's sort of who he was. And I think that was what's really cool about him. Like we saw as as fans of or as watching him on commentary, like we saw exactly what he was like. And he's he's the same with with everyone. Everyone he meets. I think he's a very charismatic guy and people always say how charismatic he was. It's because when you spoke to him, you genuinely thought he cared about what you were saying. And um, yeah, he, he was, he was great to me. Cause I, I took over from 
uh, Darren Berry and Darren Berry and him were really close mates. So every ground around the country we go to, he was there and they were sitting next to each other. So when I took Chuck's spot, I sat next to him in all these grounds and it was just probably, I think back all of my coaching, a lot of my coaching and a lot of the things that I tell the guys that I'm working with now, if you think back and go, where did I actually get that or learn that? A lot of this stuff was from from him and the way that he looked at the game and talked about the game. And I think you speak to most of his teammates and and they, they're the same. Like the way he he was with everybody individually was just, was amazing. Like he was a genuine guy. Um, I, I remember people, when we were playing, people always come up to me and say, what's he like? Uh, he's been done for, been done for this. He's been done... Like he's in the paper for all the wrong reasons, and like, is he an idiot? It's like he is genuinely one of the, the nicest guys, one on one with what you with what you're doing, and he cared about. He always asked about your family. Um, he always spoke about his. So there was a lot of, as I said, once you were in that inner sanctum with him, I, I think he he really opened up to to all those guys, and I was yeah very lucky enough to be be one of them. Adam, as you said, tough time, um, understandably, and um, I can't thank you enough for coming on to share some stories and some some of the reasons why it made the great man so great. So thank you very much. No drama, guys, and yeah, as, like I think to to sum him up, it's just it's it's horrendous what's what's happened and what's taken place. But I, I think he's the sort of guy that's just going to live in our life for, forever, and I, I know he'll stick in my mind for. Um, forever in a day and it's, it's awesome to see the tributes that have come in for him so uh, yeah obviously everything we're feeling for his family and his kids especially um, they're, they're great kids so uh, yeah hopefully the funeral and the uh, everything goes really well and he gets to send off what he deserves because he's a he's a star that's for sure Thank you very much to Adam for doing that. Um, once again, exactly like Sean, someone who who got to spend time with and play with Warney. And um, I understand com- how hard it can be to, to lose a teammate like that. So um, thank you so much to Adam for coming on and sharing some absolutely incredible stories. I, I don't know about you, but the that poker game, like there isn't yeah. too often where I get FOMO it, it, for yeah. a situation I know I would never be involved in. But well, I was, just, I was thinking the first thing I was thinking of was how much would I be willing to jump into that? So you know, five hundred bucks, you know, entry is is mm. is palatable. But like, if those boys were like, how? What's the limit there? Like, if you go all right, two, it's two grand in. I'm jump. I'm probably jumping in. And why wouldn't you jump in? Yeah, I thought I was thinking that straight away. As soon as he said he, he said five hundred dollars and he was prepared to lose the five hundred dollars, I was yeah. thinking, what would I realistically pay? in that situation, I guess, as a professional athlete, but, you know, cricket, state cricketers sort of don't make, um, you know, they're not living no. in the Taj Mahal, certainly in terms of no. um, salaries for sporting athletes. But I think that two, two or three grand I'd be happy with, like just yeah. Yeah. seeing the guest list, like there would be. You'd kick yourself if you didn't do it. You just had to do it. That was such an incredible way to, I guess, sort of celebrate um i guess his life and sort of what he meant to us we didn't want to make it a a negative thing um Mm. but obviously unbelievably sad and our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and friends and anyone close to close to the great man and we certainly will miss him but just some unbelievable stories and memories from from someone who who literally changed the game of cricket forever and there, there will be 
absolutely no one, uh, no one like Shane ever again. That's safe to say. Absolutely. All right. So what we're going to do now is we're actually going to, we're going to switch up. Your AFL is back this week. And I, let me, let me tell you, I could not be more excited. This first part of the AFL season before it starts is the best because yeah. I'm not depressed yet. And it's that. So, so just cards on the table just before we start. So you're a Port Adelaide supporter. I'm a very proud and passionate Port Adelaide supporter. Yep. And I am a Collingwood supporter. Uh, equally as proud, equally as passionate, probably not as bullish about this season coming up as you would be. Um, but I just thought probably worth putting our cards on the table there early on. Uh, look, I was bullish on them last year. I, uh, yeah, yeah, we were both I, I, way too bullish. Very bullish. I had money on them for the flag, and um, and I think they were probably in the same headset as well, mindset as well. Their yeah. headspace where they um they were already looking at the grand final without worrying about having to beat the doggies. But uh, you know, that's what happened. Well, he, well, he, here's why we haven't won the flag the last couple of years, because I guarantee you, I've said this to many people. Well, <laughs> when it was played at the Gabba. I kept saying to people, I'm like, I can't believe I'm not going to be able to see us win the flag. <laughs> and look, <laughs> that was what I was genuinely worried about. And when we lost to Richmond in that prelim, I was like, yeah. I blamed myself. And then. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, but that's, um, that's probably understandable. It's probably justified too, to be honest. I, I, I did say it was your fault. Most things are my fault, but last year was not my fault. Um, I knew I wasn't getting into WA and I definitely wasn't going to go the the fake uh, driver's license, Northern Territory route, like some couple of brave fellas did. But um, yeah. last year's prelims, not on me. I'd say last year's prelims probably on Ken Hinckley, if I'm being honest. Well, I think Port, I mean, this is a real make or break year. We sort of say that a few it feels like we say that every year with Hinkley and Port, but they can't. I say it not, every week. Yeah. <laughs> they can't not be in that top four space without some real serious pressure going on to old um, Kenny, I don't reckon. No, 100%. Now, look, as much as I would like to talk about Port Adelaide for about two hours. No, happy um, to move on. Happy to move on. Absolutely happy to move on. I guess the first thing I'll probably ask you is what's the biggest story going into this season for you? Well, the biggest story, there's probably, there's the one bubbling under under the surface, which is, um, which we'll probably get to a bit later, but it's it's Clarkson and where will he hit coach in 23? And I just think that has the potential to be an absolute circus for a lot of this season. Um, mm. there'll, be, there'll be clubs who will lose, like West Coast will lose a three or four in a row. Is, is Clarkson going to take over Simpson? Port Adelaide might stumble. Is he going to go there? Gold Coast is the obvious one. I just think there's going to be a lot of that just bubbling under the surface, which would probably be annoying, to be honest. But that's that's a sort of under underneath story. The other story for me is just whether Melbourne can actually do it again. They had a great run with injuries. They've got a super list, obviously, and they've got two of probably the best five players in the comp at the moment, Petrarca and Oliver, but um, and, and Gorn's top 10 easy as well. So um, whether they can do it, and win a flag in front of their fans at the MCG. Yeah, they're probably the two that, off the top of off the top of my head, that I reckon um, for the upcoming twenty two season. What about you? The story for me is actually is actually the uh, Alistair Clarkson 
Uh, I think yeah. from two from two angles, the fact that we've got two teams with established coaches, uh, or a few teams actually, who have established coaches who have high expectations coming into the year, who very easily you could see them falter. Yeah. And you do have to wonder how quickly a team will sort of go, all right, he's out. Let's bring in a caretaker coach. Yeah. And not right off a season, but very, like very much make it obvious that, hey, this guy is here as in a caretaking role. Yeah. Let's, let's work out how we're going to approach um, Clarko. Is he in the States? Uh, no, I think he's back home now. I think. Yeah. I think. Let's just but, approach yeah. him. How, how do we? How do we get Clarko? Basically, you know what? Actually, might be a good thing to do. Let's do Clarko watch every episode. Well, we can okay. we we can update. We can we can update the leaderboard on who's yeah. who's ahead of the Clarko watch. So I don't know if you have teams right now who you have on Clarko watch, but oh, I actually I, have I a couple. Yeah. Yeah, the three for me, I, I mentioned uh, Port Adelaide, West Coast, Gold Coast. They're the three immediate ones where I can just see like genuine noise around Clarko taking them over. And, and it could be believable. West Coast is a powerhouse. They've got, mm. they've got heaps of coin. They're already, like their preseason has been miserable. They've got heaps of injuries. They're, they're probably, they're probably going to drop out of the eight. Uh, well, they didn't make finals last year, did they? But they're probably going to drop, you know, drop down into that sort of bottom, bottom eight. Um, and I think there would be plenty of pressure on Simo. Um, Gold Coast is obvious. You know, they just can't afford to not project up. You know, if they don't start trending upwards, Stewie Jew's gone. Um, and then Port, yeah, it's like how long can you keep going with um, Hinkley until you have to make the decision to, you know, cut your losses and, and try someone else? And obviously Clarko has got a history at Port. Um, so, yeah, they're the three for me. Mm-hmm. I've got two different ones. I've got yeah. Brisbane, GWS, and Gold Coast. Now, yeah, right. GWS is a, a a bit of a left field one, but very similar to Gold Coast. The AFL is the AFL is very committed to the Gold Coast. I yeah. don't, I can't see them moving away from the Gold Coast uh, for a second time. It's just such a bad look. Yeah. So I completely agree with the fact that Gold Coast makes a lot of sense in the terms of the AFL can't have that fail and they most likely can give him a, maybe a boat, maybe a house, maybe they get Brian Waldron from the Melbourne storm to run the salary cap or something to do a couple yeah. of things for, for him. Ticks and and I think to, yeah, just to get the Excel, you know, Excel spreadsheet to not add up. Yeah. But I think GWS is very the same um, yeah, from a sense fair. of the fact that the AFL is very all chips in, in that working and it is working. Um, they have such a good list and so many good players of the fact that I don't know if Leon Cameron is probably going to be the right guy. And I could see them, I could see them very, very easily moving on from him if they have sort of a poor start. I'm actually yeah. kind of surprised that they haven't actually already given him the flick. But so that's. I think there was, a, there was a, definitely a lot of pressure on him this time last year. And then. They rallied and made the finals, and I think that's obviously kept him safe. But I think you're right. I think it's a, it's tenuous. It's only going to take three or four losses in a row, or them staying to not play good footy and fall down the ladder. And the microscope is going to be firmly on the neon Leon Cameron. Absolutely, and 
as a man who works in the media industry, this probably won't be a complete surprise to you. And you've probably done something like this a little bit scumbaggish, but the <laughs> Amazon Prime documentary, um, what was it? What was that called? Um, behind the something? Uh, making their mark? Making their mark. Yeah, I was close. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 very close. I don't know if anyone came off worse than that than Leon Cameron. Yeah, I like agree. That they the edits of that, and I understand that you have to edit it. You can't just you can't just broadcast a million hours of footage. But the edits in that made it was very anti Leon Cameron. It was anti Leon. It was pro Coniglio or Canelio, however you want to say it. Um, but that whole that whole relationship and just the communication just felt off and weird. Mm. And you're right, it didn't paint him in the best light. Um, but having said that, but yeah, and the, the, but then you hear he's he's well liked within the playing group and got their respect and that. So yeah, it, you're right. The stories didn't match the vision with that. No, no, absolutely. The 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 last one we have with Brisbane is, I think it would be a mistake for Chris Fagan to go because I think Chris Fagan's an incredible coach. Yeah, but. One of the teams I'm off is Brisbane. There's always a top team that kind of bottoms out. You know, you look at Collingwood a few years yeah, right. ago. Um, yeah. I think Brisbane's that for me. I'm certainly not going to say Port Adelaide because I'm blind till I die uh, with that. But I could see Brisbane struggling and I could see them letting him go, uh, which I think would be an incredible mistake. Yeah, I'm not so... I, I think Brisbane will be up there again. I think they played they'll be super hard to beat at the Gabba and they play half their games there. So I just think they'll be uh, pushing for that top four spot personally. And I think Port Adelaide are, are going to be the same as well. They've got too much talent on their list not to not to be seriously pushing for a top four. Um, yeah, for me, West Coast is a big, a big slider. I can see West Coast finishing bottom four. Mm. Uh, even, even with the home games they have over there, I just think they're... they're List profile is getting older every year. Um, you know, your Kennedys and your Hearns and these kind of guys. And then the fact that they've just had such a bad preseason with injuries, I just think they're going to struggle. Yeah. No, I won't argue with that. Is there a team that you are massively on that is probably a surprise? Um, I don't know if this is – I'm – and I hate it because I, I hate them. Um, but Essendon, I just think – they're going to be, I know, I know, and I feel so disgusting and dirty saying it, but I just think the fact that they're just, their list demographic is right. They've got a lot of players in that sort of 100 game plus tier, still under 30. Um, I, I reckon their coaching staff is probably the best mm. uh, in the comp. You've got Rutten, obviously, um, but it's more their assistants I'm talking about. You, um, Gene Syracuse, Carousella. Um, and the other guy who's just come back down from Brisbane, whose name escapes me, but they've got a really solid brains trust there. Plus that list, I just think, um, and they would be stung a little bit by that loss to the Bulldogs last year and, and down in Tassie. So I just think, put all that together, they're, they're my surprise for uh, pushing them to the top four. Yeah, coaching staff so good, you don't even know one of the names. Yeah, I know. Um, it's annoying me, so I should... Uh, I should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look now. Mine's completely left field. I've gone Fremantle. Now, okay. I absolutely love Justin Longmuir. Longmuir or Longmuir? Longmuir. Longmuir. Now, Longmuir. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out the Dockers' first 10 games to you. 
They play Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, St Kilda at Optus, West Coast at Optus, GWS at Optus, Essendon at Marvel, Carlton at Optus, Geelong in Geelong, North Melbourne in Optus, Gold Coast at Metricon, and Collingwood at Optus. Yeah, I could little... v- very easily see them being seven and three. That is a lot of wins. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and they've got and they've got that right sort of list profile as well, don't they? They've got a, mm. a lot of young kids who are starting to come through. Um, sorry, Dale Tapping was the one I was thinking of. Who, okay, uh, big shout Essendon. out to Dale. Uh, tap dog, apologies, mate. <laughs> I know he's a big fan of the show, so um, yeah, um, yeah, I think Frio. I mean, Fife playing forward is probably going to be the big one. Yeah. But if he plays there in a more permanent position, how many goals can he kick? Because he's set shot kicking. His goal kicking is, is horrible. Yeah. For such an elite player. Um, and then David Mundy had an unbelievable season last year, but he's still, he's, you know, it's another year older. The edge of the cliff doesn't take long to get to. So it would be interesting to see whether they can, the reliance on Dave Mundy needs to lessen, I think, as well. Yeah. I think that the, Brayshaw, Sarong, and that obviously allowing Fife to play up forward more is so much better for the team than Nat Fife having to literally sort of grab all the shopping bags and carry them out into the house. Um, There are very sort of few midfielders who could probably do that, but you're right. His set shot is disgraceful. Yeah, it's rubbish. Like, would it surprise you if he kicked... Like let's say he's a let's say he's got a good set shot. Would it surprise you if he kicked like 35, 40 goals? Oh no, no, he could easily kick 40 plus 50 if he if he set if he got his goal kicking right for sure. Mm. He's just such a hard player to stop. Yeah, no, he is. And that's the thing, is like as a, a midfielder, he's one of the better midfielders in terms of contested marking. Yeah. Which is like yeah. which makes such a difference. Like when you when you think of uh, I guess forwards, forwards and mids who sort of interchange. You're sort of thinking more along the lines of, I guess, uh, like Robbie Gray or someone yeah. like that, who's more of like a spark. Who, yeah, yeah, you throw material. in the middle, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas Fife, you could throw it on his head, and and you know he'll yeah. he'll take some he's, beating. He's unbelievable over there. I, I am flat that he got rid of the goatee though, because that was I thought he could have maybe just. Nickelback style just reinvented what, what we went through in the 90s with the, the goatee coming back to 2022 style. But he's, yeah, it, uh, that was disappointing for me. Yeah, the denim jacket went missing and came back. I yep. still, I'm still bullish on the fact that the goatee can come back. Okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not saying we do a goatee watch, um, as well as a Clarko watch, but no, I think. Probably- no, <laughs> probably too early. Probably too early into the season for that. Too but, early. Um, but yeah, it was disappointing. I'll just say that much. It was disappointing. I'm going to roll off a couple of questions for you. What yeah. is? Well, first off, let's go. Let's go through the main ones. Who is your premiership winner for the 2022 season? Look, can't go past Melbourne. Um, too, just too strong. Their list is in the right spot. They've got so many guns. One thing I will say though is that. It was quite like Collingwood in 2011 was fairly similar. We had a lot of young guns at the peak of their powers. We just won the 2010 flag, but we but we only lost to one team we in. It was Geelong, 
um, and, and they knocked us over for the flag. So it only takes one team who matches up well against Melbourne to maybe knock them off the perch. But for me, it's it's super hard to go past Melbourne. What about you? Yeah. Um, probably a bit of a probably a bit of a shock here. I've got Port Adelaide. Okay, um, that, that seems well measured. Yeah, this is more so for my mental health and for my uh, sanity. I, I okay. can't. I don't think I can handle another prelim loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it, no. It, in all seriousness, I think we're about to see a massive year from Zach Butters. I don't think the yeah. rest of the AFL truly understands how good Zach Butters is when they, you hear a lot about Connor Rosie for obvious reasons, but I think Zach Butters is probably is by far and away better than Connor Rosie. And I think okay, full well. season in the midfield, he's our best midfielder ahead of Ollie Wines, which I know is a very outlandish statement, but I'm an well, outlandish I mean, kind of guy. So maybe um, Butters for the Brownlow. I've done that for the last two years. Okay. And you get and you get juicy odds, but um, sure I, I had it last year to win thirty thousand dollars. But okay. um, I also think that the inclusion of uh, Jeremy Finlayson is a is a massive one. I yep. think I'm not gonna. I never wish ill on anyone, but I think if Charlie Dixon does miss some time because of injury, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for Port Adelaide's forward line. I think Mitch Georgiatis is. He's a go. going to be an absolute star. And yep. I think Jeremy Finlayson is uh, probably the perfect fit for, for, for what we got. So yep. I'm going with my head. I'm not going with the right well, side uh, of my head. When I, when I do that, it's the, the side of the head that's had a few too many head knocks and um, a few too many vodka sodas in it, but that premiership, Premiership would be nice for me. Well, I think I, I think now, I deserve it's now it. Or never, mate. It's now or never. If it's not now, when? I can't go back to the tarp days. <laughs> if I see if I see Port Adelaide tarps on 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 no, at, no. The, at the ground, I'm <laughs> I might no, have many, to pack it in. Many Primus tarp days were pretty dark. Pretty yeah. dark. The Brownlow medalist is. Well, I was so keen on Sam Walsh from Carlton until I until I found out he's going to miss the first month of footy. I was all in on Sam Walsh. I just thought uh, he was unreal last year. I think Carlton will be finals this year, and generally speaking, you have to you have to play finals to win the Brownlow. I just I was all in on him. Um, but that first month of footy, and he'd probably take it another couple of weeks to get back into his normal form. So I think I'm going to have to write that off, unfortunately. But look at look at him for 2023. Um, uh, I think it's just going to be a you know a bull off. It's going to be Petrarca Oliver. Um, and if you ask me who I'd pick out of those two, I'm probably going to say Petrarca because he'll kick more goals. But yeah, for me, I'll I'll pick Petrarca. I don't think I could argue with either of those. I, I I've gone a little bit left field. I've gone with Jack Steele. I think okay. St Kilda will make the finals. See, I don't reckon I th- they'll make the finals. That's but I reckon it's a good pick. But yeah, I just I don't know about Saint Kilda's list, but yeah, he, he's a, he's a great player. Well, that's that's one of the other reasons why I've gone. Jack Steele is he puts up some absolute daddy numbers when yep. he when he when he really gets into games, and there isn't a ton there isn't a ton of people who really take votes from him in that True. team, and um, you know he's sort of 
Uh, I think Brett Rand's a really good coach too, that, which is a large yeah. part why I think they're going to make the finals. Or if not, I mind you, I don't think they're a top four. I think they're a, an eight, uh, eight or seventh at absolute best. But that's yeah. a, another outlandish statement. But yeah, I found it very hard to go away from Jack Steele just based on how good he is. He's honestly like yeah, a complete, complete package. Yeah, he's a guy. He's a contested pig. An absolute contested pig, which I love and umpires yeah. absolutely love. Yeah, they do. Rising star. Well, I'm not I'm not gonna to get too ahead of myself here, but what I saw from Nick Dacos in that pracky match against GWS, um, it excited me. It excited mm. me more than I realized. Um <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a little, took me a few hours after the game to get unexcited. It was that exciting. He was so good. Um, just what what level of excitement a, are we talking? Uh, like your wife um, has just agreed to marry you. You found out you're going to be a father. You've won a cricket flag. Where does yeah, it sit? It sits just under under that, just just under that. Um, but watch his space because he hasn't played a senior game yet. So after round one, it might be it might be uh, those levels. But um, just so calm with the ball, such a great user. You know, head on the shoulders is 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 a um, going to be an unbelievable player. Um, silky smooth, and I just think with Collingwood, he'll he'll just sit in that half back line and he'll get thirty a week. Um, and I'm not sure there's any other. Um, rising stars, maybe Horn Francis at North will probably play a lot of games, but um, if he's playing midfield, he'll probably get fatigued halfway through the year, three quarters of the way through the year. Whereas Nick's playing halfback, he'll just rack up those numbers and um, and use them. So yeah. I, I just think he's my he's my choice. What about you? It's also not out of the question that he was good enough to play in Collingwood's team last year. Like yeah, no correct. offense. But the we talked about no, daddy numbers. None taken. He put up daddy numbers last year at yeah. the levels of competition he was playing against was was uh, well below what he can produce. So I could absolutely see that. I've actually gone with uh, Jamara Hagen. I like to use the shiny toy analogy. Mm-hmm. I think a year ago we had this shiny toy in Jamara. Yeah. And then obviously a year goes by, he doesn't have much of an impact, doesn't get into many games. And we all of a sudden forget about that shiny new toy because we have Horn Francis, we have Dacos. Yeah, true. And uh, look, uh, Josh Bruce, obviously he's going to be out for a considerable amount of time. That that midfield is good enough to supply him and Norton. um, Oh, yeah. And enough, enough numbers, which I think... Uh, would would uh, would make him win the rising star. So that's my pick. I think both yeah, Steele right. and I think the like the Bulldogs are going to smash teams this year at um, absolutely Marvel. They belt are them. Belt them, and it's going to be down the forward line a lot. And if you've got Jamara down there doing his thing, another year older, bigger body, um, unbelievable talent. Yeah, it's mm. it's it's a good call, mate. And I think that. Aaron Norton, obviously contested marking, just specimen. Yeah. He's going to bring a lot of balls to the ground. And it's not like Jamara has great size, is completely lost once it hits the deck. He's an athletic freak. So yeah. Yeah. You, you're going to see some goals from him this year that are just going to be 
they're just gonna you're just gonna shake your head and they are literally gonna absolutely belt teams at Marvel, which yeah, I agree is depressing to think about, but um that's mine. Uh the Coleman medalist. God, the Coleman medalist is such a toss-up, isn't it, these days? Like you, you can get 45 goals and win the that, that's the thing, is like I genuinely I genuinely sat on this one for I reckon 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, which shows you the level of analysis I'm prepared to do for this. You know, my pick, I don't know if this is left field, and again, this is um, reliant on him kicking straight, but I reckon um, Big Max King is my, my pick. Yeah. I don't think, so, um, what, like, just, no competition. No competition. No competition at all. The, just the focal point. Um, and he is so hard to defend against and he'll take a lot of he'll have a he'll have so many shots on goal this year it's just mm. whether he can straighten up and um i'll you know for a little for a, a little flutter I'd, I'd i'd back him for the for the common yeah I, I went a little uh i wouldn't call it left field um considering he came second last year but if you're following the uh the bookmakers it, it is a little left field i've gone bailey fritch okay now, yeah that is yeah, yeah. i I was one of the most unluckiest people in Australia where I had a man for to win the Norm Smith who kicked six goals. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and somehow didn't win. So I just think he looks, I don't even know if this is actually a word. It's probably not Unra- unrattlable. Like, no, it's definitely just, not a word. It's definitely not a word, but, but he just sense. looks like nothing phases him. He's, he's not, there's nothing. I'm not going to say there's nothing special about his game because he's a, a great kick, great lead, great mark. But yeah. when you look at him, you're not, you don't look at say, you know, when you see Plugger and you're like, oh shit, we're in trouble today. You look at him and you kind of think like, I might have him and he just beats you in every yeah. aspect. Yeah. He probably summed up the modern footballer there, haven't you? Plugger versus Bailey Fritch. Mm. Couldn't be any more different. No. So I think there's a lot of value in Bailey and I think, um, I think yeah, I think I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't argue against Max King. What's his? Uh, is it Ben? Yeah, Ben. Ben did an ACL, I think. So I think he's out for most. Of, or I assume he's out for the year. Yeah, but he yeah. has re-signed with the Suns, which would be good. Uh, obviously, a positive for them. Yeah, I think I speak on behalf of everyone in the AFL that it's probably a good thing that he re-signed there. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, uh, pack it up if he if he leaves, pack it up. It, it, I mean, if he left, you actually have to pack it up because I think yeah. Lukosius is probably going to leave. Adelaide and I think boys, yeah. Adelaide boys, so 50% chance that the, yeah. the pair can get him. So that would be nice. But look, at, at some point, at some point, you have to kind of, you can't go through continuous rebuilds. So I'm glad, I'm very glad he stayed there. Who is your surprise all Australian player? Yeah, this is this was a um, this is a tough one because there's a lot of choice, and um, I don't know if it's a surprise, but I just think Matty Rowell from Gold Coast is going to have the year we've sort of been waiting for him to have, mm. and I reckon he's just going to slot in right in that All Australian team. Um, I think it. I think I think this is a breakout year for him, um, and I think he's the one who's going to make it. And again, that's not really. You know, he's it's not like he hasn't got the talent to make it, everyone knows his talent, but I just think this is a year for him to actually take that next step. Yeah, no, I wouldn't argue with that. I think when he hasn't been injured, it's 
been very obvious how good yeah. of a footballer he is. So yeah. for for a man who like packs sunscreen onto his face and yeah. is just so you can't not love him. He's, he's such a wholesome. He's yeah, so he's wholesome. wholesome. Just yeah. Wanna, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, super likable kid. Um and can bloody play. Yeah, no doubt about that. I've gone Jake Riccardi from GWS. Yeah, that is left field. He's had a good preseason. He's had a great preseason. Um, a couple of years ago, got into some games and looked really good, really exciting. Last yeah, year he- was an absolute nightmare for him. Had an ankle injury in the preseason and just sort of couldn't really get in. They tried him Struggled, at some, yeah, yeah. They tried him at different positions. He's had a good, clean preseason this year. I think he's going to kick fifty goals. And I mean, well, I today's he might, your, he might he might be your common. Um... You come and smokey as well, then. Look, I'm probably gonna. I'll probably have a uh, a couple of doll hairs on him. Like I'd be rude not to if I didn't. And he, if he did it, yeah. I'd be I'd be real depressed. But I think he'll kick 50 goals and find his way into the All Australian side, whether he starts or not. Uh, I'm not sure, but if he kicks 50 goals, he's in. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there's a lot to like about young Jake, and obviously losing um, Finn Layson um, sort yeah. of frees that up a little bit more. I think. Well, well they, yeah, I mean, they were they were after Rory Lobb, weren't they, to try and sort of shore up, give him a bit more of a marking target as well. So the fact they've lost Cameron and um, Finlayson in two years, it's it's Jake's time. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's time for Jake. And look, we'll be revisiting this if he starts off hot, um, <laughs> that's for sure. Now, this is one that you actually premise. So I'll get you to, to ask it. It was, relates to COVID. So this one is... So I think like Gil McLaughlin's already stated, he's put it on the record, the show will go on. There's going to be no, we're not stopping the season for COVID. That's not going to happen. We're not, we're not doing it. And so there may be a time in winter where, you know, num- like COVID's running a mark, players are going down left, right and centre, but the show must go on. So who is the retired ex-player that you want to see back in the AFL? Someone who takes a 10-day contract, 14-day contract to just fill the numbers for a week or two. Who, who, who do you want to see back in the AFL? And it can be obviously recently retired or maybe someone who's kept the rig in decent, half-decent nick. Well, I've got two. Yeah. And both of them are based on the fact that I want them with their current rigs. Okay. <laughs> so the first one I have... Is Derek Kickett? No, nice. and I would like Derek at his playing weight at the moment because yeah, the only time I would ever watch the EJ Witten game was to watch yeah. him do the stupidest shit I've ever seen. Like he did the most mercurial stuff in the EJ Witten game yeah. in probably not ideal playing shape. Yeah, and it was stupid. Like he'd kick bananas from the from pocket from the pocket, and you're like, how could he even do that? He'd kick. I remember he used to always kick torps. So to see yeah, him, to see him um, just deep in a forward line, waiting for the crumbs yeah. to snap a few sausages. It wouldn't a, be like it wouldn't be like just stay within the fifty. Be stay within the ten. His just heat map goal square. <laughs> I would love. I would love to see the Telstra tracker, the heat map. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. It'd be good to see. So that's that's my first one. I'll throw it to you before I use the second one. Well, my second one again. This is someone who's not recently retired, and his rig is 
it's perished long ago. Um, but I just think the entertainment value and his mindset would be perfect for today's game, and that's Mark Jacko Jackson. Yeah. I can just imagine him, uh, and, and the, the instruction is simple, just assassinate as many blokes as you can. Just lay out as many people as you can today, Jacko. That's all we want from you. And I just want him in, and you know, the handstands, playing up to the crowd, you know, standing the mark and throwing his false teeth at the bloke, taking a set shot. Just the whole bag of antics I want from Jacko. I think just for one week only, it would be amazing. And I, he might not catch anyone, but I just back him in to do some damage. It would be a clown show. And I think that's the, the, the word I used is you want someone who's going to torpedo the game. Like, it, <laughs> look, I understand. I want the show to go on as well. Yeah. If COVID does run amok and it gets to this point, you obviously don't want to see it where it was like what happened with the Big Bash where you had some teams, you know, literally grabbing people from local cricket clubs and it just, yeah. it, just it got too much and too messy at one point. And you would, you would never yeah. want to see that. No. But... If I have to see that, I'm sorry, Gil. I would like to see someone absolutely destroy this game and make it yeah. a complete shit show. And that's why <laughs> my second one, my second one is Richie Vandenberg. Oh wow, yes, okay. I I don't think I could convince anyone, like have an easier time convincing someone to cause a bit yeah. of a shit show for a one-off game than Richie Vandenberg. Now he seems like the guy that that would go to the gym, do 500 push-ups, and then leave. Yeah, true. Yeah. So there's actually no reason for him to go to the gym at all because he's just doing push-ups. <laughs> and I could see him going to do like a charity footy game where he gets like 5K and just sniping someone. Like complete yeah. and utter, like, I don't think he has an off switch. And no, so I think... doesn't strike that way. I think he would run through blokes because he doesn't have the same speed. So he's going to be late getting to packs. Yeah. And I want, I want snipers. I want snipers. I want torpedoes. I want the game ruined. I don't want anyone injured, but I want no, it to be, no. I want it to be farcical. And I think yeah. Richie, my man would be one of the p- most perfect fits for that. So it's a line in the sand game, Mark, to back yeah. to the beach. Oh, if they're playing Essendon, if they're playing Essendon, I'd get a private jet. I'd fly, I'd fly them anywhere in the country if they're playing Essendon. Yeah, yeah, that would be good to watch. Um, look, my now this is an as an obscure footy name as you're going to hear, um, and it's someone that's just irked me ever since he did this. So back in 1996, Collingwood traded at the end of '96. Collingwood traded Brett James, who was a bloody good player, ended up playing in both Adelaide's grand uh, premiership teams in 97, 98. We traded Brett James for a, a bloke called Jonathan Ross. Okay. Now, Jonathan, so he played, Jonathan Ross played 20 games in four years for Adelaide. We brought him to Collingwood. He was, you know, the big, the big white hope. Collingwood actually, I've heard this from a very good source. Collingwood actually got offered Tyson Edwards in that exchange for Brett James and Tony Shaw didn't rate Tyson, so he said no. He wanted someone. He wanted a bigger boy. He wanted a. He wanted a uh, someone more key position. Thanks, Tony. So we end up getting. Thanks, Tone. Cheers. Um, so we end up getting this guy called Jonathan Ross. Now Jonathan Ross, in his first month, was sacked by Collingwood, 
Um, he was charged with unlawful assault, being drunk in a public place, four counts of assaulting police and resisting arrest. And that was within the first month of arriving at Collingwood. So we get, so we, we traded him for due diligence, maybe, maybe not the best, <laughs> maybe not the best. Um, and so I feel like Jonathan owes, he owes us one. He owes Collingwood one. And so oh I want to see, I want to see Jonathan Ross on a 14-day contract to Collingwood. And I'll say, Jonathan, you owe us. I need something from you today. That's a real, like, he might have an anklet on kind of a... <laughs> he, he may well. He may well. But that, that has hurt me ever since because we gave up a really good player for uh, clearly an angry potato. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts too. Yeah. No, absolutely. What, that's a really good one. If you could choose a retired AFL player at their... You know the the playing weight they had, or now, up to you. Um, we'll throw that yeah. we'll throw that clip up on the social media. See what we can get because I reckon we would get some unbelievable names. Talking about old players, I think now is an absolutely incredible time to mention that we do have former North Melbourne Premiership player and uh, a Fox Footy colleague of yours, and David King, coming on to join us to have a bit of a yeah. chat about the AFL season. Great man, yeah. It'll be uh, very interesting to hear his thoughts. Yep, absolutely. So what we're going to do is we'll throw it over to Kingy now and we'll see what he has to say about the AFL season. All right, well, he's a dual All-Australian, dual Premiership player, 241 games. The, in my humble opinion, the best footy analyst in the country. He's forgotten more about footy than I'll ever know. North and Port Melbourne legend David King. G'day, Kingy. Hello, boys. Thanks for the opportunity to come on and have a chat. Lovely to have you here, mate. Now, before we look at 2022, I want to go back to the start of your career because I saw this stat the other day and I did not know this about you. It was unbelievable. You hold the VFL AFL record for playing in preliminary prelim finals for seven consecutive years from your debut which is unbelievable. So the question I have for, the, for you there is when did footy actually start getting difficult? Because like for Chris and I, it started getting difficult around Auskick. But you've, uh, <laughs> you've just gone in and played in seven prelims in a row. I, look, I walked into the Kangaroos and they had uh, a 21-year-old, Wayne Carey, you know, Glenn Archer, and Mick Martin was an established All-Australian fullback. Uh, Wayne Schwartz, Anthony Rock, there's a whole host of stars. Um, so it was a perfect time to arrive. I was already a mature age player, 22 years of age. So I sort of had to lose a spot rather than win a spot at that stage. You know, Dennis, Dennis wanted to play me. Um, he wanted to have a look, you know, sink or swim type approach. So I pretty much started straight away, which was great. Um, yeah, and we just, had a, we just had a great team. You know, we didn't, we didn't make the most of our opportunities. As you said, seven prelims in a row. Yeah. Which has its its own awkwardness to it. It means that Mad Monday every year is Brownlow Medal Night, so <laughs> that's a challenge. If you uh, if you get there, and, and it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge if you have to go to the Brownlow. Which uh, I don't think Wayne went once. He didn't go. He just didn't just didn't front. He stayed at the pub all night. Yeah, um, that's a lot A ten grand fine. So no, it was great. It was a great time to get there, and you need a lot of luck in footy. And, and clearly, that was uh, that was that was that was my luck at the start. Kingy, going into the... Well, can I call you Kingy first? I get in trouble for using people's nicknames. Nah, 100%. Even my mum calls me Kingy. Don't worry about it. 
Perfect. So <laughs> going into the 2022 season, Kingy, what is the biggest story for you and why? The biggest story, I think, are the, the new coaches. You know, how will Vossi go? How, how will Sam Mitchell go? Um, they're, they're always front of mind. They're always a challenge to see. You know, are, are these great players, great coaches? You know, you've got Alistair Clarkson hovering in the background. That'll be a huge story um, with, the, with regard to probably the Gold Coast Suns, probably Port Adelaide, maybe St Kilda, maybe even the Kangaroos. A lot of teams that are going to be interested in, in Alistair Clarkson and where he'll eventually surface, whether it is to be at the end of uh, this season or not. But you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't want to be starting the year 0-4 or 2-6, something like that, given that Alistair Clarkson's just, just ready to roll. Which player who joined a, a new club this season will make the biggest impact of their new club, do you reckon? I think, I think Paddy McCartan, even though he hasn't joined a new club as such, he was at Sydney last year, but he's, yep. he's on the senior list this year. He, he's probably the one for me that um, I, I think could have the biggest impact. He's going to play centre-half back. He's going to play, uh, you know, the two McCartans down there will be a formidable duo, you know. He's just, the way he's... He, he's physically set. He, he just looks like Heath Grundy. He looked like he played, you know, 100-plus games for Sydney as a backman. So I'm, I'm yep. excited to see what Paddy McCartan can do uh, in a young lineup. Uh, we a former number one pick, you know. He's, 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 he's a ready-made player, provided he can stay healthy. Um, yep. The concussion has been a major part of that. But I, I think Paddy could have a major impact on Sydney's uh, charge to a winnable premiership this year. I think they're in the mix. So he'd be a great yep. story. Going back to the Alistair Clarkson watch, you could say, and sort of the coaching hot seat, let's say your agent gives you a call tomorrow and says every club would like you personally to be their coach for this season. Which job would you take if you had to choose? In terms of just sheer talent, um, I still think Sydney got the best young talent coming through. So I think they'll win a flag with this group in the next three or four years. But if you said you had to win one this year, which is probably your question, I still think you're looking at you look at the weapons that Brisbane have got. You know, they're, they're probably the most stacked list. You know, they they can threaten to score from any of their forwards. You know, they got other midfielders. Uh, obviously, Lockie Neal is one one. You know, Zork, uh, McCluggies, these guys. So, I think given a little bit of luck, and that's all that's probably cost them over the last couple of years deep in September. I think that's the list that I'd like to coach. Um, most people would say Melbourne, um, but having just won a flag, I think there's a lot of challenges that come with just winning a flag, and not just not just players get complacent, but everyone studies you for the next six to eight months, and they, they find a way to just beat you, uh, not necessarily play their best football, but just to defeat Melbourne. Um, so I, I I would take the reins at Brisbane if if that was available. You just mentioned Hugh McCluggage there. Is he? Probably still one of the most underrated midfielders in the AFL, or underrated players overall. Well, he's made the Australian squad of 40 the last couple of years um, and hasn't got in the team. So I, I think he's getting recognised. He's certainly getting recognition from those that, that sort of watch the game. Is it, the amount of uh, shots or goals that he has for a midfielder is extraordinary. That's something like, uh, I think, 35 shots of goal last year for, for a midfielder getting forward who doesn't actually play as a forward. Just a midfielder getting forward, um, so I think he gets the recognition from those internally. But he probably hasn't. He probably doesn't get the kudos because they haven't won one. They haven't gone to a grand final yet. And if you if you bomb out in prelims or semi finals, 
you just don't get that recognition. It's a, it's a brutal sport. There's only one team that succeeds in AFL every year and the other 17 fail. And it's as simple as that. And, and maybe Hugh's reputation uh, is on the back of that. Yeah, I was just going to quickly ask, why do you, why do you think they haven't been able to put, string it together in finals last couple of seasons? Because they've definitely had the list. Yeah, I, I think that um, I was critical of them last year, their midfield, um, still wanting to, to, to get the ball and score, still wanting to get forward. In the game, it just needed a scrap for, the, for sort of a five or six-minute block at the back end. It was only a point uh, or so in the game. I think it was a one-point margin last year. Yeah. So it's about moments. It's about one player taking control of the game, whether it's in setups or with, with their voice or their instruction or actually just delivering. You know, just saying, okay, I have to, you know, Lockie Neal standing up and saying, it has to be me now to take control of this game or Dane Zorko. Because inevitably it comes down to your leaders. You know, what your leaders deliver on, on, in the, on the big stage, in big moments, in big games, um, is the reason you win it. I mean, we'll all talk about Melbourne. And that bang, 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 those three goals in a row from the middle, you know, centre bounce sort of area. And it's Petrarca and it's Oliver and the young kid Jackson. You say, wow, that, that's what's required to win big games. Now, Gil has famously said, and he's put it on the table, that, that the show will and must go on. Oh, we're not going to stop for COVID this year. We are rolling and you need to just get bodies if you need, if, you know, if we need to uh, replace players. Let's imagine it's uh, it's winter, it's June, COVID's running rampant. Who out of the uh, who would be a retired ex-player that you'd love to see just put the boots back on? Maybe sign a little seven cheeky seven or fourteen day contract and play another game of AFL. <laughs> um, well, for differing reasons, let's go with a couple for different reasons. Right. I'd like to see Byron Pickett just play. One or two games, he'd be suspended for the next eight, um, just just to see what he would do. Our throwback, you know, just to yeah. bring the old rules back into vogue and just see whether he could still do it. Um, we were calling him Byron Byron there for a while because he's twice the Byron he used to be. But uh, <laughs> in terms of someone coming in and having an impact, I still think Brent Harvey could play AFL footy. Yeah. I, I see him down there training with the boys. I see him get involved in the drills and, and, and put particularly the running program, and I know he's old. Uh, but I still think if, if you threw him on a half-forward flank and said, just see if he can kick us one or two, he will yeah. deliver. Yeah, you're probably right there, actually. That's a good call. He's, he's still as fit as a trout, isn't he? He's a vain man. He's a vain man. He, he's, his arms are the biggest things you've ever seen at the moment. I don't know what he's doing. I'm not sure if Rhett Biglands is going to be overly supportive of Byron Pickett coming back, though. <laughs> Maybe maybe you can bring them both back. Bring back the duo and see if you can square it up. <laughs> exactly. It's a good question. I mean, you are going to have to find some lateral options, aren't you? I mean, where, where are these players going to come from? You can't just go to the local leagues and find AFL players ready-made. I know there's some around, but on, on those short timelines, um, recently just listed players would be quite entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. We'll grab a couple of predictions from you. First off, we'll go the Premiership winner. Premiership winner, um, look, it's really it's really hard. If everyone's going to say Melbourne, the Dogs are going to be there. Um, it's really difficult to win two in a row, as I said before, for a whole host of reasons. And we've been spoiled by Richmond and then Geelong and then Hawthorne <clears throat> over the last sort of 10 years. So uh, maybe maybe that that's not maybe that's not the case anymore. I'm not sure. I, I just think so many things 
uh, are thrown in front of you when, once you've had success that make it difficult the second year up. So I'm probably looking at that next wave of team. I think Brisbane are the, in the box seat. They're probably fourth favourite to win it, um, but they've got all the tools. They've got a magnificent home ground advantage. They've got they've got the list that's in the prime zone age wise. They want for nothing, and they've been they've, they've had enough dis- disappointment in big games to spur this next campaign. So what about Brownlow, mate? Well, there's only ever about six blows can win the Brownlow. You know, you, you've got to be able to get 30-plus possessions uh, regularly. You've got to be able to hit the scoreboard. Um, you've got to be in a team that doesn't have too many taking votes off. Your, your team's got to win, you know, 13-plus games. So you've probably got to hunt for those teams that are going to be around the top four or five um, or just have one player scoop all the votes, such as a Sam Walsh type. Um, so, so you keep coming back to you keep coming back to Marcus Pontempelli, uh, Clayton, all the type players, Christian Petrarca who hits the scoreboard. Your know, forwards can't win it, and defenders can't win it. So it's a small pool. Got uh, to hope for the health's on your side. I, I, look, if you're looking to, if someone said you have to, you have to have your house on someone to win it. I'm probably going Clayton Oliver because I know he's going to get a lot of votes. I know he's going to get a lot of footy, and they're going to win a lot of games. Surprise team to make and a surprise team to miss the eight. A surprise team. Look, I'm going to sound silly having sort of not a lot has to go wrong to miss the eight this year because there's so many good sides around. The dogs, if, if something happens to Aaron Norton, the dogs could miss the eight. If yeah. something happens to um, Robbie Gray or, or Travis Spoke or Holly Wines, and Robbie Gray is not as important, but I still think he's an important component to this, this mix. Port could miss the eight. So for me, they're two teams that you're just on watch, finger on the pulse. As soon as you see things aren't quite right, then, then I'll be I'll be abandoning those two teams in a real hurry. Um, and I think the team that's the, for me that are going to come back with a, with a rush at the Richmond Footy Club. You know, they've had an unbelievable. Well, they have four since 2016, 17. Um, they've had an unbelievable four years. They had a down year last year where everything went wrong. You know, from the, the coaches' dramas at the start of the year to player injury, Dustin Martin just putting a full stop on a horrible year injury-wise when he um, had that ruptured uh, kidney. Um, so I think Richmond will come back with a rush. I think the way they play is, is brilliant. They score at will. They defend really well. Robbie Tarrant comes in and could have a Brian Lake-type effect at fullback. You know, just that one position frees up Noah Bolter. He goes forward. You might be able to pinch some goals. Uh, out of Noah and, and have him as a second rucker, really agile point of difference. Um, so I think Richmond, for me, will, will soar back into the top four or five teams and, and and really challenge for the flag this year. I got one last one for you, Kingy. So North Melbourne calls you tomorrow and says, hey, we need you as a COVID replacement player. How much damage do you reckon you can actually do in the current shape you're in? Like, let's be honest with us, where are you... Where are you going to put yourself on the field to be the most effective and how much damage can you do? I'd have to, I'd have to take some sacrifices. I'd have to sacrifice any sort of warm-up. I've only got to warm up. I'd have to actually start in that position. I'd have to walk to a pocket or walk to full forward and they can do the warm-up. I'll just wait for the ball to be bound. Uh, if I come off, if I had to get off, you know how they do that mad scramble after yeah. a battery. I just go straight off. I just cross the line. It's a one-time rotation. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd make it back to the gates. 
<laughs> no, it's a constant challenge. I have to, I only have to drive past Maccas to put on a kilo or two. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not going well. It's not going well. <laughs> no, absolutely, incredible answer. Not too, not too different to my actual whole career and how I did it. So, <laughs> full credit for the honesty. <laughs> Uh, oh, thank you, mate. Thanks for your time. Uh, appreciate it very much. And looking forward to the season ahead. I think it's going to be a cracker. Good on you, boys. Thanks for getting me on having a bit of a laugh and a bit of fun. Cheers, King. Thanks, King. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Fox Footy's David King for coming on. A very, very funny man. And, um, I mean, we'll, we'll just get into the bleeding obvious there that now that's, he's... That's, chip- yeah, that, that's just... He has picked Brisbane as his list of choice. Who he can coach the, for the now and for the future. And you shat all over Brisbane's list I've, earlier on. I've absolutely shit all over Brisbane. I've fired Chris Fagan and <laughs> a man who's paid to talk about football. Yeah. And played a lot of football, as we, discu- yeah. as we discussed, a lot of prelims, has basically said, and not, not knowing that my decision, that was my answer, no, um, has no. basically just put me in the bin, which is, so a, he's pitch a, and toss a, me, essentially. That's a big watch this space for me in 2022, is Owen v. King and where Brisbane sit. Seeing as I run the socials, I'm probably not going to put any, like, hard I'm anti-Brisbane posts up. No, um, just, just tread lightly. <laughs> But I mean, we I mean, we we joke we joke about it. But uh, Brisbane is playing Port Adelaide the first round, and that is as stone cold of a moral as you can get. The second I open my big fat mouth, it, everything just comes back to bite me. So um, yeah, yeah, and, there you um, go. There's some free money for you. Free money, and um, and also interesting, the doggies in Port. He had as a bit of a knife edge, depending on injuries as well, which I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked. But that was I found that no. pretty fascinating. Didn't love that from him either. Like, <laughs> once again, does not know me from a bar of soap, does not know I'm a Port Adelaide fan. And no. um, that came across very personal, if I'm being honest. Um, a, a lot of Brisbane's going to be great. Your opinion sucks. And also Port Adelaide <laughs> suck. And yeah. your season's going to be over after four weeks. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, early, early candidate for interview of the year for mine. <laughs> But I mean, as I sort of said, was it was a phrase I used earlier to say I'm sort of a, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I just make out I'm an outlandish kind of statement kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, in uh, six weeks' time, you just you just change your opinions, what everyone else does, and you and you move on. Or I can just take this podcast off the air. Yeah, exactly. That's the power you have. I'm just pull the plug. It's as simple as that. If it's going to make me look incredibly bad, but yeah, um, all about no, the brand. That, you've got to protect the brand. I don't have a PR manager, so I'm the one who does everything. I wear. I'm a man who wears many hats. Yeah, uh, mainly yeah. to cover my head. But no, that was a that was incredibly insightful from Kingy. I, um, you know, that's the sort of stuff that you know we really can't touch on. No, he's uh, mate. That's why he, that's why he does what he does. He's very good, and the level of prep he actually puts in is um, quite unbelievable. I know people say that's his job, but he's one of those blokes who go above and beyond and is the ultimate professional. So it's great to have him on. 
Look, I think that'll probably do us for episode one, as we sort of said at the start, a little bit serious, uh, a little bit lighthearted, but I think moving forward, this is probably what you'll get with us uh, as well as some added features for added features to provide some further entertainment. I don't want to, I guess, pigeonhole ourselves because breakfast radio, you do need to be flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Unpredictable um, is the name of the game. I would have thought. Yeah. And I think unpredictable when it comes to two people is probably sums us up perfectly. Um, You're not sure what you're going to get and you probably, you might not like it. Um, There's a very famous, no, that's absolutely okay. There's a very famous video, a soccer coach. He said, you know, sometimes is a good, sometimes is a shit uh, when talking about his team. So you might not like it. Sometimes you might love it, but that's the, that's the name of the game really. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add before we depart, Tim. No, look, uh, Thank you for having me, mate. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, what lies in store. Um, and, you know, the topics as they come, uh, who would, no one would predict Warney. Who knows what's going to happen next time around. So, absolutely. Uh, but looking forward to the, uh, to the journey to breakfast radio, mate. Yeah, no, it should be good. And we'll, I mean, we'll point out that we do plan to do this in person. This has been done over Zoom, unfortunately, due to uh, COVID restrictions and, yeah, I'm in. Uh, I'm in ISO. It's um, it's a bit like being in an airport ISO, isn't it? Like you sort of like anything goes. Like so, you know, cracking open beers at eight a.m., <laughs> just eating just absolute random food that I would never eat normally. It's uh, yeah. What, what have you What have you gone to? Because I had COVID and I flogged hot dogs like absolutely okay. flogged them to death. So um, <laughs> I haven't gone hot dogs yet. Uh, meat pie, you know, uh, just a whole heap of basically just just ripping the the cupboard bare, just yeah. to, <laughs> just finding things like a kinder surprise. You don't know what you're going to get in there. No, that's great. I will add that um, this show is very much an added feature to Water Cooler Weekly, and uh, there will still be uh, interviews and guests that come on to to share some incredible stories so this is a very uh i guess different show and a part to what uh i've normally been doing but i think something that create creates a little bit more content and uh is a little bit of a i guess a a a breath of fresh air so to speak and um i'm looking forward to just breathing that fresh air in my friend Yeah, well, once you get out of ISO, the air will be nothing but fresh. So, Tim, (laughs) thank you very much for coming on. Looking forward to the next episode we're in person where you might find yourself getting the baggy white, which uh, we'll get into uh, the next episode. It's going to be an absolute honour. I cannot wait. Yeah, always a pleasure, never a chore.